to, to figure out which chair you sit in. Which one most accurately describes you and your faith? And then we'll talk about what you need to do to be in the correct chair. Now, chair number one simply represents a Christian. This is a person who's completely surrendered their heart to Jesus Christ as a disciple, doing everything they can to follow him in all areas of their, their life. The second chair is also Christian. They certainly claim to be a Christian. They, they've gone to church. They accepted Christ. They've been baptized. They've done everything that they've been asked to do. But, but when it comes to following Christ, there's parts of their lives that they follow Christ, and then there's other parts, well, they, they follow themselves. And, and they would say, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, uh, uh, this is a, a follower of Christ. This is more of a fan of Christ. <laughs> I, I love his, his love. I love being forgiven. I love the promise of heaven. But when it comes to some practical areas of my life, you know, I, I think I know better. And I'm going to do things my way. Uh, the last one is just simply a non-Christian. This is someone who doesn't claim to believe in God or claim to follow God. And, and, and they have no problems telling you about that. They just categorically reject Christ and God and all religion. So it's a non-Christian. Now, back to chair number one. This person can be defined by the word commitment. They're committed to Christ. They focus their entire life living for him. They trust in his word as the final authority for life. They have counted the cost of discipleship, as Christ tells us to do, and they are willing to pay the price. They're willing to take up their own cross, deny themselves, take up their own cross, and follow Christ. The second chair is really defined by compromise. Compromise. You know, they start off strong, they gave their life to the Lord, they studied the Word, they went to all the classes, even invited friends to church. But over the years, you know, life just happens. And there's some things about their faith that, that caused them to, to maybe make some commitments they didn't want to make, and so they just kind of compromised their beliefs. Maybe compromised their lifestyle to fit the desires that they have. And so they still like some of the things about Christianity, but they still like some of the things about the world, and they try to live in both and please both. Now, the last one is just simply complacency. This is somebody that uh, is just happy with their life. And again, we talk about non-Christians here. This is, there's a whole kind of a, a range of people in this chair. It, it can go from the, the most uh, ardent atheist and, and hardcore sinner to your neighbor next door who's a good guy or a good lady and they're faithful to their spouse and they're raising their, their kids right and they go to work and they pay their taxes and, and they're the nicest people. In fact, they're probably nicer than some of these other people that you know, but they just don't need Christ. They, they, at least they don't think they do and, and, and they have no interest in serving him. And so we see these three kind of played out. And if you look in your Bibles at Joshua chapter 24, what's interesting, and Joel really started us on this track last week as we look at the story of Joshua. And you remember Joshua, uh, that he was a young Israelite. Uh, he was uh, uh, one of the ones that, as a young man, he was in Egypt uh, when Moses came to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And so he crossed the Red Sea and, and saw the miracles. And, and then he was one of the 12 spies that went into Canaan. And he went in and came back. And, and of the 12 spies, only he and Caleb encouraged the Israelites to go and take the land that God had promised. The other ten said, oh, they're too big, they're too powerful, we'll get destroyed, we don't want any part of that. And Caleb and Joshua said, no, God is bigger, we'll win. And because of that, we know that God 
decided everyone that was in that older generation of Israelites because they rebelled against him would not enter into the promised land, including Moses. And so Joshua was the next leader of the Israelites, and he took the new generation across the Jordan into the promised land, and, and he helped lead the campaign against the Canaanites and to drive them out so that the Israelites could take the land that God had promised to them. Now, toward the end of his life, things weren't yet settled, but, but this is Joshua's word. And I would bet as you read uh, his statement, you'll know what chair he sits in. Because he's talking to the leaders of Israel. This is what he says. In Joshua 24, verses 14 to 15, he says, Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away all the gods of your forefathers, worship beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers that served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands we are, you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I don't think there's a more definite line in the sand than what Joshua was drawing that day. He said, you know what? You have to choose who you're going to serve. You have to choose which chair you're going to sit in. He said, but I know for me, I don't care what you choose and what you do. He said, for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And Joshua was fully committed. He made a very bold declaration in front of the entire nation of Israel. And he made his choice known. You see, I think the reason Joshua made that choice, because like everyone else that sits in the first chair, he, he knew God. See, chair one, the people are, that know God, it's a personal knowledge. It's something that's intimate. It's something connected. Again, we talked about Joshua's growing up. He saw the Red Sea part, and he was part of the crowd that walked through as the water uh, formed walls to so either side of him. He saw that miracle. He saw how God led the Israelites, uh, the, the cloud by day and the fire by night. He saw the manna rain down from the sky. He experienced God. So that's when, when he went over and spied out the land, he knew how big his God was because he knew his God. He, he didn't have faith in Moses as a leader. He didn't have faith in the Israelites as, as a military machine. He had faith in God. He said, we can go because our God is with us. You see, he knew God personally, and so he sat in the first chair and said, this is who I am. This is who I'll serve. I think people in the second chair, they know about God. They hear God from other people. They hear stories. They hear testimonies. They've seen them displayed in other people's lives, but it's not something that's personal in them. And we see that even displayed with those Israelites. So you have Joshua who made this bold declaration, and then you turn over just a couple pages to Judges chapter 1. And the Israelites hadn't fully taken the, the land from the Canaanites. And so here we see in Judges chapter 1, verse 27, one of the tribes of Israel, Manasseh, was struggling. And this is what it says. But Manasseh did not drive out the people of Ashan or Tanakh or Dor or Iblium or Megiddo and their surrounding settlements. For the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. And when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Now this is big. 
because God told him to, to, to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. He said, this is going to be your land, and you need to drive them out. I'll be with you, help you take care of the task. But there's still battles to fight. There's still effort that had to, the Israelites had to put on in order to, to gain the promise of God. And they found that that effort was just too much for them. They decided that, that they were tired of fighting, or they didn't have faith that God was going to fight with them or for them, and said, you know what? <laughs> Instead of driving them out, let's just make treaties. Let, let's just conquer them. We'll put them in forced labor, but we're going to leave them uh, to stay in their land. And we talked about, in this chair, it's about compromise. And that's what they did. Instead of fully uh, following God's plan for the uh, victory and the inheritance that was there in the promised land. Now, chair number three, these know God, these know of God. Of course, chair number three, you can imagine they just don't know God. They don't know God. They may have heard of him, but they don't know him. They, know, they don't believe in him. They think he's a, a myth, uh, some kind of fantasy that, that preachers or churches have made up. And, and so they have just zero respect and, and give zero deference to God in their life. And we see that happen over in Judges chapter 2. It says that after the whole generation, talking about the, the generation of people that came in and conquered this uh, promised land, he said after that generation had been gathered to the fathers, in other words, after they had passed away, another generation grew up who, neither, uh, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So we got this whole generation that grew up, they didn't know God. They, they weren't told about the stories. The, the testimony of God and his power wasn't passed on to that next generation. That's exactly the point Joel was making last week. The importance of the church passing on the truth of God and what he's done in our lives. It says they neither, uh, knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook, forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Well, it's not hard to imagine that a whole generation grows up, they don't know God. Well, then they're going to turn to false gods. They're just going to start uh, living out pagan lives. And these are, again, the children of people who've seen and experienced God firsthand. They were living in the promised land, but it just took one generation to turn their back on God. What a shame that is. And we often think, well, how could that even happen so quickly? Well, I think part of it is, is how each chair relates to God. See, in the first chair, relationship with God is that. It's a relationship. It is Christians who enjoy a, an authentic, vibrant personal relationship where they know God on a personal level and they allow God to know them. They, they feel that God is near. They know his spirit is with us and, and they engage in dialogue through prayer, through the study of God's word. They seek his guidance and his discernment in all things of life. It, it's a personal interaction with God and they seek to please him in everything. That's what a real relationship is. You see, the second chair is more about religion. It's about going through the ceremonies, the routines, going to church, maybe Sunday school class, serving somewhere, putting in your time, going through the motions, but there's no real heart behind it. You're just checking in and checking out like a spiritual 
time card to say, see, God, <laughs> I was in church. See, God, I, I've gone through the motions, but there's nothing personal. There's nothing that connects us in a deeper, more meaningful way. It's about religion. Of course, the third chair is about rejection. They reject God, reject everything he stands for, think church is a waste of time, think you're foolish to not be at the lake right now or on a golf course. Think it's silly for you to try to live your life in a moral way. Think it's silly that, that you would give your time and your energy and your resources to something instead of taking care of yourself first. Another characteristic that we see on these chairs is who's in control. Who's in control? Because if I have a personal relationship with God, the first chair means that the Spirit of God is in control of my life. It's not about self anymore. I've died to self. And when I released uh, myself and surrendered myself to God in accepting Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, Scripture says that I received the Holy Spirit. In that Acts uh, 2, 28, that repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sin in order you receive the Holy Spirit. So if you made that commitment, you received the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not always understand the Holy Spirit and how it works in your life, and we need to learn and grow in that area, personally and as a church. But the truth is, is if you've given yourself to Christ, you have the Spirit. That can't be denied. Because God has promised the Spirit to live in your life, and it's the Spirit that guides and directs us and that we use to seek uh, instruction in how to live our life. Now, the second chair, they kind of flip-flop. They're more spirit-slash-self. They like the Spirit in some aspects, and if the Spirit asks them to do something and that works for what they're doing, if that's convenient for their life, if that kind of matches up with their own agenda, then fine, I'll, I'll do what the Spirit says. But if the Spirit asks me to do something that I don't want to do, if he asks me to give up something or sacrifice something that I don't want to give up, I ain't doing it. Because self still plays a part in that. Of course, you can imagine the third chair is all about self. That's what the world is about, is just serving themselves. Get what you can while you're here in this world, because when it's over, then everything is over. It's all about serving self. See, there's some other practical views, I think, for each chair. Let, let me just give you this. Like, when it comes to the uh, view of the Bible, first chair, Christians, they submit to God's word as authority. That is unchanging. That it is a final authority. And what God says, I have to just figure out how to live according to that because I believe his truth, and I believe his truth works in my best interest and the best interest of people in general. And so while I don't know, understand it, while it seems to go against social norms, I trust God's word. That's chair number one. They submit. Chair number two, uh, they respect God's word. They respect God's word. You may even know some scripture. They understand that Jesus was uh, from God and a wise teacher. But again, once that scripture gets in the way with what everyone else thinks, when that scripture gets in the way with what I want, then I can set it aside. This is the group that says, you know, I believe the Bible, but I do understand that the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. It wasn't perfect. And, and so I, I don't know that everyone has to live by the word. And so they're willing to compromise. And they talk about my truth. They talk about your truth as if it can be different and still be truth. And that's certainly what the last group uh, thinks. Uh, they absolutely reject God's word. 
They'll talk about truths in, in fact that's relative and that everyone can live according to whatever rules that they feel their conscience binds them to. But in the, in the real matter is they don't have truth. They don't have truth. They just use truth as a way to justify their actions, justify their desires, and what they want in life. Uh, look at uh, the idea of marriage. Here in chapter one, or in chair number one, uh, these people see marriage as a covenant as a pledge of a life that is taken seriously before God. It says, I'm going to do what I can to be a godly husband or a godly wife and to love and to serve as long as I can. Chair number two, it's, it's more of a contract. It's a contract. We understand the commitment we're making, but we understand that contracts are made to be broken. And if you're not holding up your end, then I don't have to hold up mine, and I can break it anytime I want. Chair number three looks at marriage as a convenience. It's something, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, just live together. Don't, don't, don't make any, enter any kind of official contracts or, or legal, anything legally binding. Just, just do whatever's convenient for you. And, and it just, all relationships don't have to be defined by a piece of paper. We talk about parenting. Chair number one, the goal of parenting is to raise godly kids. And that, that's their goal. They want to make sure their kids are going to be in heaven, that they pass on their faith, and they're worried about their kids' spiritual development. And, and that doesn't mean to outsource them to Joel or to Tamara or, or the church to, to do something with them in the, in the student or, or children's ministry. They are personally involved in sharing their faith and telling what God has done. But that's their ultimate goal is to raise godly kids. And chair number two, they want to raise good kids. I want to raise kids that, that are good citizens, that are, that are respectful and mindful. I want to raise kids that when they get teenage years, they don't do anything too wild, too rebellious that would embarrass me or the family. Chair number three, are, they want to raise successful kids. They want to raise kids that, that you know, are socially accepted. They want to raise kids that, that uh, have the right education. They go to the right schools. They get the right job. So I can sit around with my golfing buddies or, or with the ladies and, and brag about uh, how little Susie is now studying to, to be a lawyer. Or, or Johnny's starting his own company, and he's really successful. And, and we start living vicariously through our kids, and, and we just want them to be successful so it looks good on us, and we feel like that makes us a great parent. There's a big difference between the three. And I, let me just tell you this, kind of a side bonus to this sermon. Uh, I found in the years of youth ministry and ministry that parents that sit in chair number two most often raise kids that sit in chair number three. See, and Joel touched on this last week, especially this new generation coming up, uh, they have a great disdain for anything that is fake or not authentic. And when they see their parents, they see the duplicitous life or they live one way at the church and another way at home or another way they do business and all these other priorities, the kids right here say, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. If this isn't real to them, then this isn't real to me. And I'm just going to call it for what it is and I'm just going to live without God. And so that's why we have a lot of problems within the church. Because I would argue that most of church sits in chair number two. Now, chair number one doesn't guarantee that you're going to raise up kids in chair number one. Kids have a will of their own. They get to make choices 
about who they serve. And I've seen parents that, that were good, godly parents that had kids that were rebellious. Of course, I've also seen those rebellious kids come back to the Lord. And I would say that for most part, those who parent in chair number one raise kids that are in chair number one as well. One of the things that I thought was fascinating is a lot of parents in chair number three, they see the struggle, they see the emptiness of their parents who live without God, and oftentimes they grow up. If the word can get to them, if they get connected to a youth ministry, a children's ministry, to church, and they get on fire for God, they sit in chair number one. Again, opposite of what they've seen in the house as they were growing up. These chairs, they're not predestined. You get to choose where you sit. And for our kids, they get to choose as well. And what we want to do is provide with them the right environment, the right instruction, so they will know exactly what God has in store for them. Now, you're familiar with these chairs. You're familiar with the characteristics and the lifestyles that go with them. I know this isn't exhaustive. We could talk a lot more about each and every chair and the people that sit in those But the question that we're all driving to here in this message is simply this. As you look at each of these chairs and you heard the descriptions, which one do you sit in? Which one best defines your relationship with God right now? Not which one you know you should pick or the one you want people to think you sit in. We're not doing a show of hands, so I want you to be honest with God in your heart right now. Where do you sit in your relationship with God. Because as you look at these chairs, each of us have a responsibility. For those of you who say chair number one, and and I hope there is. In fact, what what I hope is that someday every Christian, and I don't think it's arrogant to say, yeah, I walk with the Lord. I think it's arrogant to say I'm perfect in the Lord. (laughs) But but every Christian should say, you know what, I, I do my best. I serve God with all my heart. I'm not perfect, but he forgives me, and I, I, I ask and repent, and I move on. But, but I'm trying to be in that first chair. And if that's you, then this morning what you need to do is just simply reaffirm. Reaffirm to God, God, I'm committed to you. And sometimes sitting in that chair, it's hard. Sometimes my, my desires, the temptations around me, the pressure from the world, it, it makes me want to move to the next seat. I think life would be easier sitting in the seat of compromise. But God, I need your help. Help me to be some of the few that walk the path with you and have a personal relationship with you. The second chair, if you sit here, then what you need to do today is repent. You need to repent. You need to just bring before God the compromise of your life and say, you know, Lord, I've been trying to to live for the best of this world and get most out of it and live for you. And I realize that those two are against one another, that I have to choose which master I serve. You need to confess that to God. I I tell you, a lot of us look at that chair number two and say, wait a minute, they're Christians. (laughs) They gave their life to the Lord. Surely it's not so bad to be in chair number two because in some degree we all want to have the best of both worlds. Listen, in Scripture, probably one of the harshest judgment in all of Scripture is levied toward those in chair number two in Revelations chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Again, Jesus speaking, he says, I know your deeds, and you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. 
So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What do you think God thinks of people in chair number two? He says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You either pick one or the other. He doesn't like compromise. If you're in chair number three, this morning what you need to do is receive. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And there's just no other way around it. And I don't know, even in this crowd, I, I assume we're all, I've been here and, and we're all Christians, but, but I never assume someone's heart is right or someone has truly surrendered themselves to the Lord. It's been said uh, in preacher circles for, for a long time now that the hardest convert are the ones sitting in the pews every week. The people that hear it over and over again that the message of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us is they could say it verbatim and yet the heart hasn't changed. And I hope today that God will use this illustration to to tap into you and say, you need change. Scripture is very clear about accepting Christ. It's about believing in him. It's about repenting of our sin. Realize I can't do this on my own. It's about confessing to God, "I, I need you. I'm a sinner, and I need you as my Lord and Savior. It's about being immersed into him and surrendering yourself, being baptized into a new life in Christ, and then following him. It's not easy to sit in these chairs. I get it. Believe me, sometimes I'm firmly in one. Sometimes I find myself drifting to two. And sometimes it's back and forth. But I'm going to tell you, with God's help, we can be who God has called us to be. We don't have to be perfect but we need to be consistent in trying to follow him in everything that we do. Again, you pick which chair you sit, and this first chair is always open. It is our desire for you as a believer that you put God first, and that relationship begin to develop and flourish so that you can experience the joy and the peace that comes from knowing Christ. Let's pray. Great Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for loving us the way you do. I thank you so much, Father, for giving us Jesus Christ so that we can have the opportunity to sit in a chair with you. Lord, it is about that relationship. It is about knowing you and everything that we do and making you first in our lives. And Lord, I pray for anyone that's either here today or listening Online, Father, I pray if if they don't know you, that today will be the day that they reach out, that they make a commitment and surrender their life to you. Lord, for those of us who are sitting in the second chair, I pray that you convict, that you move us to, to, to a right relationship with you. No more playing games, no more compromise, no more trying to, to play both sides, but to say today is the day that me, my family, we will serve the Lord. Let us make bold declarations in order to give you honor and glory that we may experience the fullness of the life you created us for. We love you, Father, and all that you give us in your son's name. Amen. You know, it's really not surprising or out of line for Christ to want us to sit in chair number one, for us to to be fully committed to him Because the cross reminds us that he's fully committed to us. I mean, Christ went all in. He became flesh. He laid out his body to to be nailed, and he died on the cross for our sin. 
we're going to move to a time of communion. Some of you have already gotten the emblem. Some of you will come down front here at the stations. If you're at home, hopefully you have uh, crackers and juice. We're going to move into this time of communion, and we're going to remember that Christ went all in for us. And so it only stands to reason that he asked for us to be fully committed to him. Charles and the band is just going to play over this, and this is a time for you to take those emblems, to thank God for his incredible sacrifice for you.